So last week, Pastor David kicked us off into a new series in the book of Jonah, and so we're going to continue that today, um, and I'm going to be uh, reading from Jonah 1.17 to 2.10. All right. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath me barred me in forever, but you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Awesome. Thank you, Michael. Yeah, Baptism Sunday. Can't wait. It should be really fun. Uh, welcome to Current. We're so glad you could join us today. Um, yeah, excited to continue this series. We're going through the book, book of Jonah here. Uh, let me ask you, have you ever experienced a life flashing before your eyes type moment? Have you ever been there? Or it's just like kind of close to the end? Yeah, I see a couple people actually saying that. Um, I have. Happened while I was skiing. Of course, it was on the last run of the, of the day, which is when it always happens. My buddy and I decided we were going to race down the hill, last run, best run. And so uh, the slopes were clearing, and we were up on that last chairlift up. Nobody was behind us, and the sun was starting to wane, and you know, we were just kind of checking out the course. Like, what were we going to race? And my buddy was picking out. He's like, all right, we're going to go down this route, and we're going to... I noticed that he picked one uh, black diamond area. I was like, oh boy, that's going to be interesting. Because here's the problem with what this race was going to be about, which I, which I knew going into it. So my buddy was very good at skiing, and I was very competitive. And I was only just good enough for this to not be a great scenario. And so once we got off the uh, lift, we just started tearing down the mountain. We started right when we got off the lift, and my buddy got off to a good start, and I knew he was going to win. There's just no way I was going to catch up. But my whole goal was if I can be close to him when we got to the bottom, I will have won, right? In my mind, I was like, that's how this is going to work. So we're just tearing down the mountain. Not a lot of people, so we're just going, we're going real fast. And then we got to that place where the black diamond slope began, okay? And if you've ever been skiing before, snowboarding, you know that as you approach a black diamond you know, slope, there's a little lip that you just see off into eternity, right? It's just, all you see is the horizon, okay? You don't see beyond that, okay? My buddy was ahead of me, and he got up there. He's going super fast. He did a little hip thing and went tearing down the black diamond lip. I didn't see him. His body disappeared. His head disappeared. All right. So I'm over here like, boy, this is not, this is not good, but I, I got I to gotta do this, okay? So, I, so I'm tearing it like, you know, real fast speed. I get to the black diamond uh, uh, lip there and just go flying over it. I just go flying. And I'm not exaggerating. I probably got about 10 feet. Because this slope is like, you know, it's it's a good angle. That wasn't the part where I started to have the life, you know, flash before my eyes. Um, I got to say, when I was in the air, like, two things I was thinking about. One, I immediately regret this decision. (laughs) 
And two, I am so thankful, like genuine th gratitude that there was no poor soul underneath me. Because if somebody had fallen, like I'm, I'm, I'm serious. I was thinking this in all seriousness. I was like, man, I would have sent them to the hospital. So anyways, I, I, I finally land. I somehow managed to land. And I hit, the, hit the, the slope, the snow. I'm going now faster than ever. And I'm unable to kind of stop. I start to make the first turn. And actually, I make the turn. I start to make that turn. Uh, it was the second turn that got me. You know what I'm saying? It was this long, like, wide radius of a turn. It was the second one that got me because I'm just gaining speed, right? I'm not slowing down all that well. And by the time I, like, kind of get around this second turn, one skis up in the air. And if you know, you know. It's, it's not going to end well. So uh, I'm just going faster and faster. This, this hill is just super steep. And it was then that I saw this cabin in front of me. It's like storage shed, like just a couple hundred yards in front of me which for you non-skiers was really close. A couple hundred yards going that fast at that slope uh, with no possibility of like stopping myself under my own control. It's like, this was, this was really scary. And it was actually in that moment that my life flashed before my eyes. You know, just to get to the end, obviously I'm here. I just like, I threw myself into the slope. And still, for the first five seconds, which was an eternity, I thought I was gonna not just hit this thing, I was going to slam into it, and it was going to be a quick end, okay? It was then that my life flashed before my eyes, and I experienced what I've heard a lot of people describe as their experience in these moments. Like, you know, what came to my mind was, you know, cherished loved ones, uh, uh, moments of cherished memories. Uh, I was also talking to God in a more intimate way than I'd ever talked to him before, and probably since. And I'm not hyping that up for the sake of joke. I'm like, I'm intimate relationship with the Lord in those moments. The other thing that I remember is I was, as I was thinking very deeply on, had I lived, lived a good life? Like, had I, had I lived a life of meaning and purpose? And, and I had a coming to moment. When I, got, when I got down, I collected myself up, and I, you know, I had lost my pride way up there on the hill. But I just, when I got down, I met up with my buddy. Like, he didn't really know him. He saw I was like, you know, a little rough around the edges with all the snow on me. But he had no idea, this best friend of mine at the time, he had no idea that I was a changed guy. Like I was a changed person. Like I had had a moment where I was just like, boy, life is precious. I had a coming to moment and it was, and it was that moment that really, really changed me a little bit. And I believe that's what we're seeing a little bit here happening in Jonah chapter two. Because if you were here last week and you, and you uh, saw with us how Jonah chapter 1 began, you see that between Jonah chapter 1 and Jonah chapter 2, we have a completely different Jonah. Wouldn't you say? Uh, at the beginning of the book, God comes to him and calls him out to take his message to the people of Nineveh, the ancient capital city of, of, the, of the Assyrian Empire. And Jonah not only disobeys, he flees from the Lord. Now, Jonah was called to go east by God. He goes west. He was called to go inland. He gets on the nearest boat for the farthest reaches of the then-known world. And it was on this boat that uh, God sent a storm, and the winds just are picking up, the waves are picking up, and these professional pagan sailors are losing their minds. The, the boat's beginning to break up. They don't know what to do. They've tried everything. They go to Jonah and say, hey, we've all called upon our gods. Can you call upon your God? Because this is going to be the end here. And Jonah says, yeah, I'll call upon my God because this is, this, is, this is because of me what's happening. 
And, he's, and they, the sailors say to him, well, what do we do? He said, well, th throw me over and it'll be okay. Because for Jonah, he understood this was all happening because, because God was allowing it. The pagan sailors were terrified at that thought. Throw him over? No way, we're not going to do that. But they, again, tried everything they could to try to right the ship, but still nothing would work. Only the seas grew worse, and so eventually they threw Jonah into the sea. And that's essentially where we left off in Jonah 1. And we see in Jonah 2, Jonah kind of talking about what had happened in those moments. He was tossed into the depths. And we'll look at some of the language again that was just read. But he's just, he's just in, the, in, the, in the depths. And it was there that Jonah began to find and ultimately experience the grace of God. Or the goodness of God that we just sang about. We see Jonah from this, go from chapter 1 in this smug religious dude to somebody who's been utterly transformed by the grace of God. J.I. Packard wrote this really famous book called Knowing God that I actually uh, reread recently. And at one point, he makes the point, he, he says that the vast, vast majority of Christians, and I'm going to go ahead and add the word American or Western, the vast, vast majority of Western Christians will sing the famous hymn, Amazing Grace, and yet only be paying it lip service. That's J.I. Packard. Just the vast majority of us will sing that song, but really, we don't, we don't fully know. We haven't fully tasted that goodness and really lived from that. What I believe we have here today as we, as we move into Jonah chapter 2 and consider this coming to moment, this out of the depths moment that Jonah experienced, is really what I believe we have all throughout the book. And that is both a cautionary tale and an invitation. Uh, I've never seen this before, studying this time for, for this, this uh, study through the book of Jonah. But it seems to me this is how to read the book of Jonah. You see it as both a cautionary tale and an invitation. Cautionary tale and invitation to not be like Jonah. You don't have to go through the depths. You don't have to go to that low to find and experience the grace of God that is readily made available to you and me. Sadly, although it's also a bit of a gift, sadly it often takes us going to the depths to, to receive that. But you don't have to go there. And so we're going to turn now to Jonah's experience there and see how he was transformed from the inside out from this wonderful grace that's available to you and me. So let's, let's pray and then we'll, then we'll jump in. Father, thank you so much that your goodness runs after us. Thank you that it, it dives in head first after us, after us into the depths where we so often find ourselves, whether at our own doing or whether at just the, just the reality of living in a broken world. And, and we're so thankful because you don't just leave us to, to that end, but you, you not only meet us there, you, you meet us there with your, with your overwhelming grace, goodness and love that Jonah experienced miraculously, even in spite of himself. And so, Father, would you help us learn from him, learn from your word through his, his story, that we might find and experience your grace a little bit more deeply today. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Let me start with asking this question. Uh, in the depths of life, so in whatever depths you may experience, or maybe you're experiencing now, where does your heart turn? Like, where does your heart turn? Uh, Jonah's experiencing the depths. We see in verse 2, he calls it that he was just in this distressing situation. Yeah, yeah I'll say. He calls it the, the deep realm of the dead that he's in. Verse 3, he, he says the currents were swirling around him. The waves and breakers swept over him. 
Verse five, the engulfing waters were surrounding him. Verse seven, his life was ebbing away. Jonah had a coming to moment. And I believe verse eight really clarifies his thought process and his conclusion in all of this. Verse seven says, my life was ebbing away. When it was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Then he says this, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Where does your heart turn in the depths? Uh, where is your heart turning? Uh, I love using this word heart, even though it's not here in this, in this text. The, the thought certainly is. Uh, we like to use the word heart in English more as kind of like the lovey-dovey sense of, of feelings. But for the ancient Hebrew, the word heart was, was really to refer to the seat of our affections. So our, our, our hearts are really drawn to that in which we find our identity, our, our meaning, our purpose, our security in life, our sense of, of worth. That's, that's where we where we turn with our hearts. And what Jonah is pointing out here is it is really easy for us to just in the everyday time of life, let alone in the depths, cling, he says, to, quote, worthless idols. Now, when the Bible talks about idols, it's not just talking about those figurines that the ancient people, many people today, will, will worship or bend the knee to. You know, it's not just talking about you know, those little wooden or metal figurines, but it's always talking about the worship of whatever is behind those little figures, whatever is the idol is behind that. So for instance, you don't just worship the, the little figurine of, of the God of power or of success, you're actually worshiping the idea of wanting power and success. And when you start to think about that, you see that the Bible has a real strong understanding of our human hearts. Because, you know, here in the Silicon Valley, there are a lot of us who are bending the knee to the God of power and success. We're worshiping it. Now, what do we mean by worshiping it? Easy way to think about that is, so to go back, it's it's to say we find our sense of worth in it, our security in it. And if we're bending our knee to it, if we're worshiping it to the extent of idolatry, we're going to the place where it has an inordinate place in our affections. So for instance, we probably all know people in our lives, say when it comes to power and success, that they have an inordinate desire for power and success. And so say when they do happen to get it, oh watch out, they're puffed up with pride. They have all sorts of of blind spots to the way that they treat people, perhaps on your team. Or if they don't get it, they're inordinately crushed by it. Like they're just taken out by it. It just comes out sideways and every which way. That's what it means to worship idols and, and just to cling to things that are worthless. There's other idols like the, you know, say the goddess of love. That's, that's alive and active in our culture. Every culture. The way we look, we have an inordinate, not just, we don't just think about these. We have an inordinate care for these things. Or inordinate care of whether we get that special someone or if it doesn't work out and we're just upset. In fact, Christians will take it to the place where, yeah, we say we're worshiping God. He's first. But really, when we don't get this or that, well, God's not holding up his side of the the deal. When really, that's not the promise of scriptures. It's really easy, Jonah is saying here, to cling to worthless idols. I recently watched... Uh, this week, uh, Apple's WWDC, it's going to say WWF, WWDC uh, event, it's kind of like WWF, technology-wise, um, but it's really cool, and I know a number of you guys are probably working on that, uh, it's really fun, I mean, it's like every, every time, you know, around this time of year, it's like, all right, w- Apple, how are you going to change my life this year, and uh, I am totally drinking the Apple Kool-Aid, you know, I got iPad up here, the iPhone, sorry, Google phone, you know what I'm saying, but it's like, it's like I'm watching this thing, I'm like, all right, we get stickers this year, you know, it's just, and uh, the whole thing, um, 
as I was watching it, I was really, I was really feeling two main things, right? and it's partly the mood I was in, but uh, I was feeling two strong feelings as I was watching this. Uh, one, I was feeling really excited, because I was like, man, this is going to be exciting. I get to do that. I get to you know, start to do this next year and all that sort of stuff, these wonderful things at my fingertips. All right. The second thing I was feeling was a little depressed, if I'm honest with you. And um, uh, I think partly the reason for that was uh, seeing Tim, Tim Cook, and I don't know the other gentleman's name, but the guy who goes up and produ- uh, presents the, uh, the operating system. Uh, these guys are getting up there in age. They're starting to get, get up there. And then they always have, you know, the younger generation, which is there's a significant gap that also kind of, you know, present their, their project. And I was just looking at Tim and this other gentleman, and I was just like, man, is this what we're living for? Now, please don't over, overhear me. You know, I was in a bit of a mood, and, and, I, and part of this is really related to something I'm getting ready to share about, you know, somebody who recently I'm, I've been close to in, in certain senses passing away. But I was watching this, and part of me was getting a little depressed because as, as awesome as these things are, and a lot of these, these te- technological advances are, are really incredible. They're going to connect us to others and in better ways, you know, the health component that can, you know, help save lives and that sort of, it's, it's all wonderful. But part of me was sitting there like, man, we are, it's, it's no far stretch to think as a society, we're really living from each one of these cycles to the next. And part of the reason why I thought I was in that mood is because, you know, what's also been in the back of my mind recently is a pastor, a former pastor of Sydney's in mind, uh, Tim Keller, recently passed away. If you know Tim Keller, he's written a number of books as well. He's a former pastor in uh, Manhattan, New York. But he passed away from pancreatic cancer. And, uh, you know, he's, he'd been tr- being treated for it for a number of years. And he really gifted a lot of us who were paying attention with uh, pulling the curtain back as he was facing death. And I, I really appreciated that. I mean, you just share how he was facing, facing death as a pastor, as a Christian. And at one point he said this, and I'm sorry, this won't be on the screen. But he said this. He said, when some people say, well, when you die, it's just over. So there's nothing, nothing to be afraid of. My response to that is, what you're saying then is that death means the end of love. And you're telling me not to dread that? Give me a break. If I know there's love on the other side of death, I can face it. If I know there's infinitely greater love, then I can really face it. In the depths of life, where does your heart turn? Where are you, where are you looking for ultimate satisfaction? For, for your worth, your sense of security, because what the scriptures say over and over again, what Jonah's highlighting here, is anything apart from God and his love for us is, is worthless. I mean, if you think about it this way, we'll grasp onto something in the depths, if we can use that metaphor, but anything else apart from God and his love is, is in the depths with us. It's swirling around with us. And so I think there's an invitation here. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think there's an invitation to examine our hearts. Not to wait for the depths. Some of you might be in the depths right now. Okay. But to not wait for the depths, to examine your heart and to see where it might be looking to for its sense of security, its sense of worth. Because God will give you an opportunity to see because wherever your, your heart is postured, that's going to help you see what you truly need. Because whatever that might be, is, you can determine, is that worthless? Is that temporary or is, or is it eternal? Is it, will it not fail me? God uses the depths to get our attention, but God uses the depths also to build us up. I mean, one, of the, one commentary I was reading this week, I thought, put, put it very succinctly. Jonah had to go down before he had to go up. And I, again, I think there's a cautionary tale as there's an invitation. You don't have to go down before you come, can come up, but there's a gift in going down sometimes to come up. So you can use it to get your attention, but you can also, before that, see how God might be calling you to draw 
your heart towards him, which is the second thought, just to kind of hang our thoughts on today, and really kind of the main thought, which we'll break down. And that is, don't wait, turn to the Lord. Don't wait for the depths, if you're not there. Turn to the Lord now. That's what Jonah is saying, again, in verse 8. He says, those who cling to worthless idols, they're turning away from God's love for them. When we, when we cling to worthless idols, whether we realize it or not, wittingly or unwillingly, we are turning from, from God's love. And this word love in the ancient Hebrew is actually a really important key biblical uh, term. Uh, it's the ancient Hebrew chesed uh, that, that is translated here, of course, love, but it's translated elsewhere as steadfast love or more straightforwardly as grace. It's God's, it's God's grace. It's it's a reference to God's covenantal love. In other words, it's a reference to not just God's love in general, but God's personal, intimate love that he makes available to everyone who would call out to him. So in other words, Jonah, when he's in the depths, he's not just saying, I just need to turn to God's love in general. He's, he's saying, I'm turning to God's love for me personally, and I'm, and I'm going to cling to that. I'm going to receive that. Because Jonah knows, what we've already started to say, that God's love is the only love, it's the only thing in this life, that is unconditional, that's everlasting, which is why Jonah goes on to say in verse 9, I will say salvation comes from the Lord. God alone has salvation. God alone can hold us secure, even in, even in the depths. And what's fascinating is commentators, many commentators say that in fact, Jonah chapter 2 verse 9 could easily summarize the, entire, the entirety of the scriptures, all of them. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. Uh, but often, we don't grasp it. Often, we don't grasp this grace made available to us. Uh, J.I. Packer talks about this in his, in his book, and I, I think it's really helpful for us to consider it today, because he talks about three, three ways we fail to grasp God's grace. And all three of these ways turn up in Jonah chapter 2, so we'll, we'll look at them. But we fail to grasp them. We fail to grasp the only thing in life, including in the depths, that can actually hold us secure. So let's look at these three in part. So three ways we fail to grasp God's amazing grace. Number one, Packer says, we, we fail to grasp our, the reality of our moral ill-desert. He's saying we must grasp our moral ill-desert. What do you mean by that? He's saying that often in our society, we're taught that when we feel down about our condition, about you know, our failures about our, you know, misgivings, we just seek out therapy or we just apply willpower to it. But what's more is that we have moral standards in our society that are essentially said to us as, as social constructs and they're, and they're relative. And so it's really hard for us, this is a hard message for our culture to understand, that the Bible says we are guilty sinners, that we in our own selves are sinful people, that we are broken Apart from God, we just, we need help. Um, I was, this is the week for me to like think about, you know, life flash before my eyes type moments. And it just showed up in my feet. I wonder if it did for you. This, um, this passenger airline, I think it was over Asia, I forget, that had a cabin door opened mid-flight. Did you see that? And actually somebody was recording this. Like I was like, well, who has the fortitude to like pull out their phone and... <laughs> And anyways, so I was, I was watching, an, uh, I, was, uh, I read an interview of the guy who was sitting right next to the door, like he was real close to it. 
And, uh, you know, in the picture or the video, the dude's face is everything you would think it would be in that moment. Like, this dude is just like that. And he was talking about how he's like, yeah, he's like, for the first little bit, you know, all the movies taught me that I was getting ready to fly out with my chair and everything, you know, depressurized, uh, you know, pressurized cabin. I was just going to go out Mission Impossible style. Um, he's, you know, it took him a while, a while, and he realized, okay, as long as I just stay still, I'm okay. Uh, it's scary, by the way. I mean, the pressure drops and people with health problems. Okay, okay. But the reality, he, he had a life flash before his eyes moment before that all settled itself for him. And what was interesting, not a Christian guy so far as I can tell, what he said is he said, in those brief moments, he was wondering. He said, I had a life flash before my moment's eye, uh, eye, eyes moment. And he said, I was questioning, did I live a good life? And he said, I started to think about a lot of the bad things I had done. The Bible teaches what I think a lot of us know deep down, and that is we are, we are sinful people. We are broken people. We are, we, are, we are guilty. And, you know, Jonah's calling that out in verse 3. He says, you, Lord, hurled me into the depths, the heart, the very heart of the seas. He was saying, I understand, God, that you have divine justice at play here, and I'm deserving of it. Now, whether to the degree it was all happening, this and that, okay, we can put that aside. But if you read Jonah 1, you could see, yeah, he was kind of deserving of it. He was kind of a smug religious dude who thought he knew better than God. And all the rest of it, disobedience. We need to start with grasping our moral ill desert, but we must also grasp our spiritual impotence, Packard puts it. We need, we need to grasp our spiritual impotence. Uh, in other words, we need to admit not only that we're sinful, but that we're also unable to fix ourselves out of it. I mean, here's, this is also hard for our culture to understand. But our culture, our culture very rarely admits when it's wrong. I mean, when you, or just let's say people in our culture, okay? Think about some of the people on the news and all that sort of stuff. Very rarely will people admit when they get things wrong. And in the rare time when perhaps they might sort of admit that they're wrong, it will immediately in the same breath be coupled with, but I'll fix it. But the scriptures teach over and over again, we are not only sinful people, apart from God, we, we can't fix ourselves. Now, I'm not trying to suggest we can't improve or, you know, get better in certain regards, but just at the, at the deep soul level, there's only, like, that's all just superficial. Like, it just goes so much deeper than that. Uh, I was waiting until I had much more emotional reserves before I read a book called The Rape of Nan King. Have you heard of this book? I've been reading a number of books over the last year or so, historical books, psychological, these things, and everybody kept, a lot of people kept referencing uh, The Rape of Nan King and Ordinary Men. You heard of those books? So Rape of Nan King is about the, the war atrocities committed by Japanese soldiers during World War II against the Chinese people, just terrible things. And Ordinary Men is about uh, ordinary Germans who started off there and ended up being guards at Auschwitz. It's just like I said, I had to wait till I have some, had some emotional reserves before I read this. But one of the things both of these authors point out in their books, not Christian books, both, both of these authors point out is at some point they're like, hey, do not, do not be deluded, O oh reader, as you read about these accounts to think that you never would have done the same in these same circumstances. Ooh. One person, uh, I think the, the author of, of The Rape of Nam King at one point said something, and I, I need to look get the exact quote, but she said, the, the barbarity of, of, of the human condition only ever hangs by a thread of civilization. It's like just beneath the surfaces, we, we can just become these. And it's not, in other words, in other words, evil is not just something out there, you know, a few bad apples. Evil exists 
in each of our human hearts. And, you know, we don't have to read about, you know, such terrible things or even understand the scriptures to understand experientially that evil is just there. I, I'm experiencing that on the baseball field, little leak. <laughs> I mean, seriously, yesterday we were out there playing. And I'm just like, oh man, I better, I better, well, no names will be named here. It's like, I'm over here like, what is going on over there on that team? And, you know, the coach is doing this and that. And all this is coming out. The human depravity is coming out when there's kids involved. Like kids are watching and yet we just do all sorts. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you can experience this on the commute to work. Just drive a little bit. A couple blocks will show you human depravity. I mean, but also, just, just think about the way you and I treat our most cherished loved ones. We often inflict the most pain to those we're close to and we love the most. What's up with that? Well, what's up with that is we're sinful people. We can't save ourselves. We can work on a little bit, but deep down, no, we need, we need outside help. And that's, that's why Jonah goes on to say salvation is, is, is from the Lord. So we understand that we're sinful or our moral ill-deserved. We need to understand our spiritual impetus, but we also, impotence, but we also need to understand, we also need to grasp the costliness of God's salvation. We need to understand the costliness of, of God's salvation. Where does that show up in, in Jonah chapter 2? Well, a few places where Jonah references the need to seek God specifically in his temple. Look at verse 4. I said, I have been banished from your sight, O God, yet I, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Verse 7. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. The original readers of the book of Jonah would have understand real quickly what Jonah was referring to. And that is, he was referring to the innermost room, the holy of holies of the temple, where God was said to have dwelt. And more specifically, the mercy seat over the Ark of the Covenant, where one day every year, the high priest would go into this holy of holy rooms, one day of the year on the Day of Atonement, to go in there and sprinkle the blood of a sacrifice on the mercy seat over the Ark of the Covenant that contained the Ten Commandments inside of it. And, and in doing that, the ancient Hebrew people had just an incredibly powerful and beautiful picture of what it meant for God to just love them and care for them. Because on, on the one hand, when the priests went in there and they understood what was going on, they understood God's divine justice and that he calls us to live righteous lives. I mean, that, that was a symbolic in the Ten Commandments being there, okay, in, in the Ark of the Covenant. But they also understood the, the costliness of it all. The, the blood was, was sprinkled on there, the sacrifice. What they didn't understand was particularly how the sacrifice of one animal, the blood of one animal being sprinkled, could somehow cover all the sin of, of, of a terrible people. And when I say terrible people, we got a lot, and the scripture's kind of pointing that out. They didn't understand how that could work. But in that illustration, in that beautiful picture, we had the, perhaps the most powerful representation of the gospel found in the scriptures. The gospel meaning the good news of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus came into this world to live the life we're called to live. He, he carried it out. The law, Ten Commandments, perfectly. And yet he was also killed. He, he died the death that you and I deserve. Salvation comes from the Lord, Jonah's crying out. Did you know Jesus' Hebrew, word, Hebrew name, Yeshua, means literally the Lord saves? I mean, the word Jesus is wrapped up in Jonah Chapter 2, verse 9, the Lord saves. He came to save, and how did he do that? He went to the cross and died the death that, that we deserve. 
Why did he do that? In order to bring us back into relationship, chesed with God, covenantal relationship, personal, intimate love, because he would forgive us for his sacrifice. In other words, what did it cost God? It cost God everything. It cost him everything. His eternally begotten son. Another way to think about it is God the son dove headfirst into the depths of the sea to save us, to, 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 to bring us back into relationship with God. And we have this beautiful picture of what God has done for us in his salvation, what it meant for him to bring us into relationship. It cost him. And that is available to you today if you've never received that. I love this about the scriptures through and through. Jonah was completely missing the good news. And how was he missing it? He was missing it from being, dare I say it this way, an over-religious guy. He was missing it through his own religion, through his own good works. He was missing it. And yet God found him in the depths, which gives you and me a wonderful picture of the gospel. It means if you're here today, you know what it takes for you to grasp, grasp it and receive it? Take it by faith. It's doing the very things we've talked about. It's recognizing that you're a sinner. It's recognizing that you can't save yourself. And it's recognizing the costliness of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. And you can receive that today. Eternal life with him. Grace, the goodness of God that's running after you. And I would just give you a moment here today that you can, you can receive that in your heart. And if that's you, I encourage you to make a little note. Check the box there on the connection card. Not that that saves you. Of course it doesn't. But as representative of what's happened in your heart so we can come alongside you, pray with you, pray for you. But then for those of you who have put your faith in Jesus, are you, are you really grasping, are you truly grasping the amazing grace that he made avail he's made available to you? J.I. Packer would say, you're probably not. We're probably not. I mean, the nice thing here, though, is it doesn't take a whole lot to grasp it. And really, ultimately, at the end of the day, it's his grace grasping you if you've put your faith in him. But still, there's an invitation, even as there's a cautionary tale through Jonah, to find and experience it more deeply. And the question you and I have today is looking to where our heart is postured. Where are you turning in your heart towards for your sense of worth, meaning, purpose? Jonah, was look, he fell into the trap of doing that in his own religion, being a good person. You can look for it in, in many different ways, but Jonah points out, the Bible points out over and over again, that anywhere we, we turn to apart from, the, apart from God's love is worthless and is only swirling around with us. It's temporary at best. But how can you turn to him? Last thing we'll say, and then baptisms, is notice how Jonah concludes this incredible, intimate prayer. He says in verse 8 and then 9, he says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love from us, but I will shout with, uh, with grateful praise. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. I love this. It's so incredible to me. But if you notice the timing on this, Jonah is, is filled with gratitude and praise before he's ever delivered. You notice that? He's not yet delivered, and yet he's already shouting with gratitude and praise. Why? Because as far as he's concerned, he's already experienced what he needs to experience, and that is God's grace. Which means, in the depths, you and I can have grateful hearts of praise, because guess what? God's love isn't going anywhere. We can grasp hold to it, and it's got a hold of us, which can lead us to praise, yes, even in the depths, before we're out of them. And so that's the wonderful news, uh, current family. 
is we get to sing to our Lord. Even if you came in today and you're in the depths, first of all, God feels it with you. He doesn't just say, turn that frown upside down. No, he, he dies in there to be in it with you and to deliver you from it. But ultimately, no matter how that's going to play out in this life, he's got you through even to the other side. His love, his everlasting chesed, his grace is holding you firm. So how could you, how you, how could you find that? How could you experience that a little bit more deeply today? Let's pray. Father, what a beautiful text, now that I, now that I even think about it, uh, to hang as a backdrop as we get ready to celebrate baptisms. Jonah in the depths is really representative of all of us apart from you in the depths. And yet through Christ going to the depths, dying for us, not just physical death, but, but a spiritual death, separation from the Lord, we can come back up out of the waters into eternal life. Not because of anything we bring to the table, but completely entirely in what he's accomplished for us. So we say thank you. Thank you that salvation comes from the Lord. Jesus, the Lord saves. And so, Father, today as we celebrate that uh, with these two wonderful ladies who are being baptized, would your face just shine all the more on them today? It should be a wonderful spiritual marker in their their life and walk with you. And and would it just be a joyous occasion for us as a church to get to walk alongside them with that? We say all this to your glory and with hearts of gratitude. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.